Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to your day three Australian Open tennis podcast coming to you from Tennis Podcast Towers, Melbourne at 10 to 1 in the morning. We are here. Tennis, of course, is still being played. And unfortunately, David Law is detained commentating on one of the three matches that are still on court at Melbourne Park. As of about 9.30pm, Matt, there were 10 scheduled matches that hadn't even started. It's been uh, it's been quite a day. Mm, it has. It's, um, I think it's extra weird when it's rainy at the Australian Open compared to the other Grand Slams. You sort of expect it at the other slams i mean i know that we expect changeable weather when we come to well to melbourne but even so it's weird when it's rainy here because you know it's great they have three roofs i think we're going with that now as the plural of roof uh, so tennis can continue but so many of the matches just have not been able to get going they had to cancel all the doubles today which was meant to start and we got to sort of early evening and suddenly there was just an avalanche of matches coming our way on the outside courts. And we were sitting among the British press pack who were anxiously waiting to see whether Cameron Norrie would remain on the schedule or be bumped over to tomorrow, perhaps. And I don't know whether it's good news or bad news, but the news came that he was uh, moving to court 13, I think, um, and was on the schedule today. And a lot of British journalists were therefore here for the night. David among them. Yeah, he is commentating on Cam Norrie and a man uh, who he describes as a mad genius, <laughs> Constantine Lestienne. Uh, mad genius that's uh, apparently been driving Cam Norrie absolutely bananas. He is currently two sets to one up, though, is Cam Norrie. Um, so good luck, David. <laughs> By the time he hears this, hopefully uh, he'll live, it'll all be a distant memory. But goodness me, tennis is... Tennis is absolutely ridiculous. It is not even going to be remarkable that the three matches are going on at this time of night and goodness knows what time they'll finish. I mean, that is that is just tennis all over. It Exactly as you say, Matt, it had the feeling today of a day that would be a little bit weird, that maybe would feature some upsets. And I think that's just because overcast drizzly cold weather does not suit australia something Mm. weird was in the air from the very start and we have had some drama we've had some upsets we're going to talk about that get into all of it in just a moment's time but first a little bit of exciting sort of additional news you'll know by now of course if you've been listening to us this week that the tennis podcast during the Australian Open is sponsored by On Location the premium hospitality and experience provider they are bringing us to the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells for the first time all together in March and you'll also know that we have a 5% discount code on offer to all friends of the tennis podcast on Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours throughout the 2023 tennis season. We also, though, 
have some additional exciting news for any of you that are in the UK or US residents of either of those countries. On Location has given us one of Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours packages to the Miami Open presented by Itao and described by me yesterday as the back end of the Sunshine Double Donkey. (laughs) And uh, I stand by it. It's a beautiful donkey. Um, And uh, that package is to be given away to one lucky tennis podcast newsletter subscriber. The winning newsletter subscriber drawn at random from those that enter will win the following. A three-night stay at the official Miami Open Tournament Hotel for two guests. Uh, And you get to, you know, see tennis players generally at those hotels. I hate that. Um, But... But, but that would be appealing for some people. It would be very appealing for some people. There's nothing worse than seeing like talent Greeks poor at gre- breakfast. But for some people, that will be a hoot. Uh, tickets to two days and two night sessions of matches at the Miami Open and premium hospitality inclusive of food, beer and wine. And I really do appreciate the specificity in that aspect of the package. And you get daily round trip transportation via the tournament's official shuttle service. And uh, you see all sorts on the shuttles. Umpires, line judges, it's it's all good fun. So if you're a US or UK resident, a tennis podcast newsletter subscriber, it doesn't cost anything to be a newsletter subscriber, by the way. The link is in our show notes. It's an absolute no-brainer to subscribe. Um, and if you can get to yourself to Miami, you'll be eligible to enter this incredible draw courtesy of on location the draw will run until the conclusion of the australian open and then the winner announced the following week so to enter just go to tours for tennis.com forward slash podcast that's tours the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast now to the tennis and we have to lead with The early exit, the second round exit of the defending champion Rafael Nadal at the hands of the American Mackenzie McDonald. Straight set 6-4, 6-4, 7-5. There were a few different chapters to this match. An absolutely electric start for Mackenzie McDonald. He was winning fair round square. It was a tactical masterclass from him. He really pushed Nadal into his forehand corner. That turned out to be a really, really good Good strategy, but then in the eighth game of the second set, Nadal pulls up sharply. He's hunched over. He's grimacing. You know instantly with Nadal when something is seriously wrong. And he then takes an off-court medical timeout. And when he returns to the court, he is an absolute shadow of himself. He can barely move. He can barely serve. He's clearly intent on finishing the match and plays about as well as a wounded animal possibly can play tennis for a set and a half, but it's obviously never going to be enough. You've got so many harrowing shots of Nadal staring into the abyss at changeovers, contemplating his sporting mortality at those sit-downs, his support team in tears. And then at the end of the match, the absolutely haunting sight of Nadal's funeral march to the locker room, a slow, slow trudge, followed by the camera all the way. It was, it was incredibly poignant, Matt. And I I don't know if we want to get into all of the, will he be back at the Australian Open? How poignant is it? Will, you know, was that a farewell to the crowd? You know, that moment he took to, to wave goodbye. I don't know if we want to get into all of that, but it felt incredibly poignant. Mm, for sure and to be honest I'm not sure we can get into all that meaningfully because I think the theme of this injury that Nadal's got here is that he really doesn't know how serious it is you know it was bad enough in the moment to cause him a huge amount of pain and to make it impossible for him to win that match but it really struck me that when Nadal had his foot issue at Roland Garros, and let's be honest, that was pretty much the most career-threatening injury that Nadal's ever had. You know, his career was in the balance there. But there was real certainty about 
what he knew his options were. You know, it was to have the treatment and it either works or it doesn't. It was pretty black and white. And I think, I think in a way that was kind of easier to accept. You know, he, he knew the situation he was in. This is an issue now where he's just frequently piling up injury after injury. And you have to start to wonder whether he can still take it you know to constantly be in recovery mode and coming back you know he's he's not getting younger of course he's he's you know we know that he's close to the end of his career and the question is how close and the more injuries like this happen you have to suspect that as much motivation and determination and love for the sport that he still has it's going to get harder and harder to keep coming back and that was kind of what he was saying in his press conference. He is, well, he used the words mentally destroyed, didn't he, to sort of describe how he was feeling because he'd had a really good practice and this has sort of not come out of nowhere. He said he had been feeling it a bit, but absolutely he didn't expect it to disrupt his tournament. And yeah, it's just another injury setback. And We've been talking about those pretty much constantly with Nadal since the French Open last year. You know, he just can't stay fit for a long period of time. And that is really, really taking its toll now on him. And he really veered in that post-match press conference between, you know, just saying, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight to be back and rinse every last bit out of my career that I possibly can because... That's all I know how to do, and that's all I want to do. You know, he's asked asked at the end, "What's what's your motivation for for continuing to to put yourself through what's required just to to continue to be a professional athlete?" And he said, "I love this," and I know he's been asked that question a million times, and he's told us a million times, but I still think it was valid to to ask it and to be reminded by Nadal of. I, I, look, I can be, I can hear him answer that question to the end of time. Just say, I love doing this so much. There is nothing else I want to be doing. And there is nothing I'm not prepared to do to feel like I've got every last drop out of my career. Except is there? Is there a limit to what he's prepared to do? Is there a difference between you know, a a two-month period on the sidelines followed by, you know, a a two-month period of rehab and a six-month period on the sidelines followed by longer rehab and longer trying to get match practice. I do... I I don't think Nadal's love for and commitment to the sport has wavered one bit. I don't think it's in his makeup for that ever to happen. I do just wonder if the balance of the equation has shifted a little Mm. bit in his mind Mm. yeah i i think that's very possible um also his his life circumstances have changed he's a he's a father now and he spoke i think it was after his first round wasn't it about how he didn't really know how he would feel if he had to be away from his son for a month you know and he was happy that he didn't have to be because his son has has come with him here but that is going to be factored into decisions that he makes now over the you know the over the course of what's left of his career so i don't think we can necessarily judge nadal by how we've always judged him in the past you know we know his motivation will never waver as you said his love for it will never waver but his body and just his life might tell him something different soon um and I don't know, there was something, you know, to go back to your word earlier, there was something poignant about the fact that here we are again with Nadal in Melbourne having an injury problem because that has been the story, really, of his time at the Australian Open. I know he's won it twice, but he's also had an awful lot of pain here, you know, having to retire in big matches or having to miss the tournament altogether or being really compromised in matches, even if he didn't have to retire like today. And it sort of felt like he'd put all that behind him last year when he won the title here. You know, he just got this perfect moment, this miracle, and it was 
it was kind of like Melbourne was making it all up to him. You know, all, all the pain that it had cost him in in the past, it it didn't matter because he had this incredible moment. And yet, it's a sort of, you know, the tennis wheel just keeps turning. And here we are 12 months later and kind of last year is the past. It's gone and it's this year again. And Nadal's back in Melbourne hurting again. And Tennis moves like that. Yeah, let's click our fingers. <laughs> it's the circus of life. The circus of life, exactly. Um, I d- so I, I did. I did find it very, very poignant and moving for I those reasons. I don't want to n- never sit in an Australian Open press conference hearing Nadal talk about the circus of life again. <laughs> I can't. Not to make it all about us, but I, I, I can't contemplate that possibility. So maybe let's not go too deep down the rabbit hole. As you say, it's legit not to go too deep down it because it's such an unknown he hasn't had a, he hasn't had any scans yet he doesn't know mm. what he's dealing with he said i've had his wording was i have a history in the hip with injuries i feel you rafa <laughs> um but was never this amount of problem before um and it's interesting you know he was asked um i think because of what happened at wimbledon last year where he played through that that what turned out to be a sort of two meter tear to his abdominal muscle when he could would refuse to make eye contact with anybody in his box because they were all imploring him to to retire in that uh, in that quarterfinal match um, against Taylor Fritz. He um, it, he was he was asked whether anybody in his box this time around was um, was he imploring him to retire, and he said, "I didn't ask. <laughs> I'm old enough to make my own decisions." <laughs> And he made it very clear that he was not going to retire from that match. He he was going to put himself through whatever he needed to, to to not retire as the defending champion. He referenced that, didn't he, as a factor in, in his decision-making today. And I don't know if that's a a good example to be setting necessarily, you know, play through injury, potentially worse in your injury in, in order not to be the person that retires because, you know, sometimes there's no shame in retiring sure. and, and admitting your, your limits. But Nadal is so unique and such a one-off. I do think there was something wonderful mm. in, in how he, in how he explained the importance of, to him, mm of uh of not ending that way and maybe it was in the back of his mind that if this if this is the last one if 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 doesn't exist he said i don't like that word (laughs) he doesn't (laughs) but if it is the last one um it he didn't want it to be that way and um Mm. i'm glad he was able to finish the match uh appropriately yeah yeah and um a word for Mackenzie mcdonald i think as well because as you said he was playing a hell of a match. You know, he was he was beating Nadal before the injury happened. He was um, a set and and a break up on him. He had his tactics spot on, as you said. The roof was on, and it just seemed that the ball was really skidding through. Mm. You know, he's he's got these quite short take backs on his ground strokes and hits the ball very very flat, and he was executing. Perfectly, you know, it was the best I've seen him play, really. And he was holding it together, and he he was just holding the court so well. You know, he was in charge, he was dictating, and I didn't expect that to be honest. I thought that this would be a really good matchup for Nadal against a guy with not many weapons, but he he sort of made the absolute most of what he had because he was so good tactically. I think absolutely. And then when it became a completely different match mm. in the third set, dealt. And pivoted and dealt with that brilliantly as well. I tell you what, that situation with Nadal playing as a wounded animal, but he he was unable to hit backhands. Yeah. Basically, just just could not hit that shot. The serve was was Whitaker esque, um, but he was sort of just teeing off on the forehand with the with this loose left arms firing off the most improbable winners and occasionally sort of marauding limping to the net and hitting volley winners tell you what that would have got in the head of a lot of players and Mm. Mackenzie McDonald did so well to maintain his intensity and just focus on himself and not worry about being the bad guy he was 
He was very impressive. Do we have to interrupt this broadcast? I was going to continue with, with the men's draw, seeing as we were on it. But I think we might need to interrupt this broadcast with live, soon-to-be-out-of-date tennis news, which is that not only is there a deciding set tiebreak happening before our eyes at 1.09am, but I think we also just had the holy grail of a player celebrating reaching seven points in the tiebreak only to realise... Did we? I think that's what just happened to Danielle Collins. And oh, it's now, no. It's now an awful lot closer <laughs> than it was when she thought she'd won the match. Um, yeah. Oh, I want to see Collins's face when she was told that she hadn't won the match. Well, unless she, she always gives good face. I know it wouldn't have disappointed. She had both arms aloft. It was <laughs> uh, it was extraordinary. It's now eight five in the tie break. We'll we'll keep you posted on that soon to be added date tennis news. But let's let's stay with the men's draw. I want to talk about Felix Auger-Aliassime because he was getting himself in a pickle at the same time that Nadal things were happening on Rod Laver Arena. That There wasn't much tennis happening at that time because it was all rained off on the outside courts. And yet, still, there was too much tennis yes. <laughs> to be able to it focus was... the necessary attention. Yes, and it was all really bad news for Tony Nadal for about an hour <laughs> there because uh, Rafael Nadal was, was losing and eventually being you know taken out of the tournament. And... Felix Auger-Aliassime, who he, of course, coaches, was was two sets down. Um, And it was weird because it was indoors. (laughs) And we've been saying sort of for so long that, gosh, it would be great for Auger-Aliassime if he could play an indoor Grand Slam because we saw what he did at the end of last season. He, He really thrived in those conditions. And yet today, in the first two sets... He was erratic and error-prone. And I think the problem is that he didn't actually, to my eyes anyway, change his game in that match to make a difference. Even though he won it, I ended up really sort of realising that there's actually not that much of a plan B there. you know. And plan A wasn't working, so you hope to go to plan B for most players, I think. But what he actually did was hope and wait for plan A to start working. And it did because he was really good in those last three sets. He tightened up his game, cut out the errors. But it made me think, what if he's in this situation again and he can't get plan A working? That that made me worry a little bit. It was great that he found it, but I did just think, hmm. I feel like the... The plan B for him, certainly in Grand Slams, which are best of five, is I'm fit enough that I can stay out here. So if I can just stay out here, hopefully it'll it'll start happening mm. for me, rely on the fitness. It's obviously brilliant that he is that fit and and he doesn't have to worry about that as an element. And, you know, he was able to hang tough and was out there long enough for things to turn around. But he he felt like a passenger in things turning around a little bit. He didn't feel like he got that match by the scruff of the neck and said, you know, not today. No, he just started playing a bit better. Yeah. Um, this sounds he, doesn't, like, he doesn't have the flexibility in This, his this game. sounds like a, a little bit of a shift for you in Felix Auger-Aliassime. You've always been... I, I find your stance on him really fascinating because you're such a believer. And mm. you're, you're absolutely not alone in that. And I'm not... I'm not totally not a believer. I'm not writing him off. I just have a lot more doubts than, than you do, a lot more questions that he's yet to answer for me. But this sounds like a slight shift. Well, because he was troubled in the first round, wasn't he? He was in a pickle against Vashet Pospisil. Yeah, and I suppose I just took that as you know, good that he's winning when he's not playing mm. well. And I don't think he actually ever really found his top level in that match. Maybe he heard our praise for that and thought, oh, I'll keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm starting to think that he needs to play his best tennis in every match, really, to to win this tournament f- from now on. He's not a fan of the balls, is he? No, he's not. He was and really annoyed about them. And really wants to talk about it. Some people are like, you know, Nadal obviously hates the balls. <laughs> 
but he'll sort of say, I've said, you know, I, I don't want to... I don't want to be the guy that's going out there slagging off the balls and, and by extension slagging off the tournament. Don't worry, Rafa. Felix <laughs> is happy to be that guy. He he doesn't like him at all. No, he was really annoyed about how they weren't bouncing up. Mm. And he said he kind of has to change the natural arc of his shots because of that, because uh, he likes it bouncing up. He likes putting a lot of spin on the ball, but... As we've been hearing, you know, after a couple of games, they're just not taking spin, these balls, and that is really affecting him. He said it was worse today than the first round, I think, because it was indoors. So <laughs> maybe that <laughs> takes away our indoor theory about him. I don't know. I'm, um, I'm a little bit sort of lost on what to think about Auger-Aliassime. I'm still a believer. He's going all the way to the final in my predictions. I just think he needs to start playing better but given his dislike for the balls given what we've seen in the first couple of rounds I'm, mm. I'm a little worried but um you know if he can find that top level I still think I still think he can reach the final here yeah not looking like a title contender yet Francis Tiafo though Matt Roberts is it time we start thinking about Francis Tiafo as a as in the little mix, we there's a mix of one. That's what we've decided on. We haven't seen enough of Djokovic looking injured or anything other than a nine-time champion, I don't think, to to revise that. But in terms of the little mix, the other contenders, is it time we start put, putting Francis Tiafo in there? Another straight sets win for him over the 17-year-old Jerry Sheng. Um and the draw opening up a little bit now with Nadal out. Although, P.S., he's proven he can beat Nadal <laughs> in Grand Slams. Yeah, that's true. And and he said in his press conference that he was talking to Mackenzie McDonald before and sort of pumping him up and saying, look, you can do it. You know, I've done it recently. And Tommy Paul had a win over Nadal recently. Taylor Fritz. There's been a real sort of surge of Americans doing well against Rafael Nadal and... Um, so Tiafo, I'm sure, was pleased for Mackenzie McDonald, but he did also say he quite fancied, you know, another go at Nadal to sort of prove that he could do it again. And oh, I just I like love that, that attitude like that he's that. got now. And he spoke, he spoke so brilliantly about how a few years ago he just wasn't working hard enough. You know, he said that that was why his ranking dropped. That was why he didn't make that much progress. And you know, it's not rocket science. You know, you've got to work hard in order to improve. And he said that in the last couple of years, something has really clicked for him and he is working hard. He's so motivated and hungry now. And, and, and we said it the other day, I love how there's been that shift in him. And he is, I think, worthy of being in the in the little mix. And yet he's lost none of what always made him so compelling. You know, he's still brilliant to watch he's still a great interview he still brings the vibes um and those two things together you know a real contender but also fun magic concoction is just perfect isn't it and yeah. um yeah i i think he's played well in australia before that was sort of where he had his grand slam breakthrough he got to the quarters here didn't he and i think he likes the conditions so absolutely i think he's uh He's a real contender to still be here, you know, sort of this time next week, perhaps. And doing it all in a sort of tropical mankini. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, other significant men's results today. Daniil Medvedev beat uh, the Australian sensation or one of many Australian sensations, according to Australian media. Uh, John Millman tonight. Matt went to his press conferences. It's good to be back in Daniel Medvedev, Australian Open press conferences, isn't it? And uh, I'm going to do a little tease here, Matt. Mm. Because if... David the, would be proud. If the on-location uh, competition was an incentive enough to sign up to the newsletter and Matt Stat and all the other brilliant jazz that's offered in the newsletter, um, we're going to put the contents of Matt's exchange with Daniel Medvedev in, uh, in our daily newsletter that will be going out later on Tonight, our time. Tomorrow, your time. <laughs> Yesterday, someone else's time. Sometime soon. 
probably by the time you're listening to this, mm. you'll have the newsletter. So um, it's well, it's well worth subscribing to. I've uh, I've seen the quotes. If you're interested in Daniil Medvedev just being interesting and mm. self-aware and cool, then uh, highly recommend. <laughs> Stefanos Tsitsipas took about 12 minutes to beat Rin- Rinky Hidjikata. Tonight on the uh, Rod Laver Arena, Yannick Sinner straight sets. They're him. on a collision course, aren't they? Sinner mm. and Sitsipas. So the, in, in the fourth round, I think I do, I do think that match is going to happen. Yeah, mm. and it happened last year, didn't it? In the quarters, and was Sitsipas blew him away. Yeah. That was a really maybe the best match Sitsipas played all year. I don't know. I'm probably forgetting one or two, but he was brilliant in that match. He just jumped all over Sinner and. I'd be fascinated to know, sort of, twelve months on, what 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 can change for Sinner. Um, but just on just on Medvedev, I won't I won't give away the exchange I had with him in the press conference. But I did enjoy the line he gave on the court, where you know he was talking about playing John Millman, and they were very grueling rallies. And he just sort of gave this really ominous line, but said it in a really sort of light-hearted way that. His strategy was basically okay. Let's just play forty-shot rallies then, and see if you and see if you can beat me. And that kind of is his thing, isn't it? You know, and if he's in that mode, if he's in that mood, mm. like it's going to be hard to beat Daniil Medvedev, I think. And again, talking about the conditions, they really seem to suit Flat him. Hitter, yeah. yeah. I mean, Medvedev is someone who I didn't have that much confidence in coming into this tournament, just because of. The fact he didn't play very well against Djokovic in Adelaide. He's not been, he's not been great, really. To he's be honest, he's not had any off season. He's to not speak had any of. off season, um, but he's he seems to be playing really well. But Sebastian Corder, I believe, in the mm. next round, also in form. He's not going to want forty shot rallies with Daniil Medvedev. He's going to want to end them a lot sooner than that, I think. Um, but whether he can or not, we'll see. Very much here. For that matchup, Corder against Medvedev, that'll be in a couple of days' time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. 
homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. On to the women's draw, headlined, I think, other than by Danielle Collins celebrating victory <laughs> twice uh, just now over Carolina Mukova. She has just got the job done, folks. And gosh, that match was brilliant, wasn't it? Just before we get on to Radu Coco, that, that match was so good and should have been prayed in front of a packed house at a time when everybody's able to to watch and unfortunately it reached its thrilling conclusion at 1.15 a.m. and absolutely nobody was watching and mm. blooming tennis. Yeah. Blooming tennis. But uh big win for big win that's Danielle two Collins big, and her one functioning knee. Yes, that's two wins late in deciding sets. She's sort of soldiering on despite that injury that she seemed to pick up early in the first round. And um, I love this match because I feel like Mukova's game both disrupted Collins because it disrupts everyone. It's a it, it's a gorgeous game to be mm, honest. I really, really like watching her. So smooth, and yet also because you know she's not all power, Mukova. It did also allow Collins to occasionally just absolutely lean on a ball and leather it. You sort of got the best of both. You mm. got a bit of disruption, but also kind of bringing out the best of Collins as well. It was, it was a joy to watch. She brought all the vibes. It's been a bit of a weird day, and I was just so thankful for the sight of Danielle Collins <laughs> walking out into a tennis court, just knowing she would bring some vibes. Yeah. She would, she'd bring vibes to awake with Danielle Collins. I mean, I hope she never has to, but, uh, but she would if required. Uh, right then, Radu Coco. Really, really trying to make that hashtag happen, Matt. I'm not only trying to make rivalries happen, I'm trying to accompanying make hashtags. accompanying hashtags happen. Uh, I didn't come up with it, Hannah did on our Twitter, and it's brilliant. Uh, the match ended up brilliant, didn't it? It did not start brilliantly. There were a lot of people pointing to the the stats of this match that don't make it look brilliant. There were... A lot of unforced errors. The majority of them did come in in the first set, and it took a while to to hot up. It was really edgy and bitty and um, rhythmless in the opening set. There were a lot of errors from from both players, and in the first set, and I think overall, it was experience that told for Coco Goff, which is extraordinary because she's the younger she's player. Younger. She's uh, <laughs> she's eighteen years old. Um, no, she's nineteen. Was she eighteen? She's eighteen. She is eighteen. Mm. I said that, and I thought she can't be eighteen. <laughs> anyway, she is eighteen. Um, but it turned into a fantastic match, an absolutely fantastic match, and. That's what I'll remember. You know, not many matches are brilliant level throughout. And this one took a while to get going. But once it did, it was such a glimpse into into what could be, both for the rivalry and for Emma Raducanu. Um Great fight from Coco Goff. Great defence from Coco Goff. Those were, those were the differences, I think. The defence in particular, the experience... Um, Emma Raducanu had opportunities there there were a couple of moments where she perhaps picked the wrong shot those moments came when when she had time on the ball when she was just playing on instinct and opening up those shoulders she was playing some US Open-esque tennis I thought but there were a couple of wobbles from her but overall I thought that match was good news for tennis and good news for Emma Raducanu perhaps not brilliant news for Coco Goff forehand watch, I don't think. Although she thinks the forehand was better than the backhand tonight. So maybe I just don't understand tennis <laughs> at all, Matt. <laughs> yeah, we uh, were listening to that press conference in different places. I believe you were in the room. I was at my desk sort of tuning into it. And we both heard that line and immediately texted each other like, huh, what? <laughs> Did we watch the same match that she was playing? Um because it was a very clear narrative in the match, wasn't it? Both of the, I mean, they're both on the backhand list. Both of Correct. them. You, 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 my heart jumped when I saw that they were 
going for a backhand and my heart was in my mouth when mm. I saw that they were going for a forehand. Right. You yeah. know, it was re- that was such a clear narrative in, in the match for me. Who's, whose backhand is going to be better and whose forehand is going to be worse? Mm. Yeah. So I think you had a theory and I, I think you may well be right that she doesn't want to make a really, really big thing of the forehand. I think she's She does aware get asked about of, it a lot. She's aware of the talk around it and she doesn't want to talk it into existence she doesn't want to fuel that chatter because i think she 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 doesn't want it on her mind Mm. yeah um but yes i really enjoyed this match as well and i think i think the best thing i can say about it is you know there are some matches where there were where there would be 80 unforced errors between the two players in in two sets and i wouldn't enjoy it and yet you know, even though there were those unforced errors and, and we should recognise those, I still found it a really compelling mm. match and both players played their best tennis in the sort of biggest moments at the end of that second set. The last half an hour of that match was fantastic. You yeah. couldn't take your eyes off it. And I loved Raducanu's really aggressive approach. Um, I loved her perspective on this tournament that just couple of weeks ago when she turned her ankle in Auckland she thought she might not even be able to play it and she made a big effort to be able to play it she took a risk that she might not for a different tournament she was on crutches right yeah Mm. um so that's been a success really to play this well so soon after that injury and and she did play well and I also loved watching Coco Goff compete like that and right now as you said I think one of the biggest differences between them is that Goff is a much better sort of scrapper in mm. in in points and in rallies. She can she can rely on her defense to win more points. She can win slightly awkward points. She can fight. She can just figure it out a bit more. And I think sometimes Raducanu um, still maybe pulls the trigger at the wrong time or does pull the trigger and overplays a little bit too much or maybe doesn't quite have the court sense yet. Like I think there was a lot of talk about that she maybe needed to come forward a little bit more in, in these rallies to to sort of negate the goff defence because the goff defence is so strong you can't really hit through it. Maybe coming forward can can help. But anyway, just those little subtle differences between them. But Radakanu had a set point in that second mm-hmm. set and, and missed a drop shot I think would probably be what you were referring to, to sort of that shot choice in the moment. I don't know. I think maybe just execution as well. Mm. She just missed it. It was it was very, very close. Um, and it had the big, had a big occasion feel to it at the end of yes. that second set. And, and I loved that. Yeah, it did. It felt like, no, I'm not going to say it. Does it begin with an R? Yes, it, yes, yeah. it did. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I just think take away take away the US Open win. That's the anomaly. Take it away and how would we all be looking at that performance? We'd say, gosh, she really showed her potential there. Mm. She showed what what might be capable when she gets more experience and gets fitter and gets tougher and more match hardened, which is what happens if you do the right things off the court and train the right way. See Francis Tiafo and everything, and she's clearly not afraid of hard work, I mm. don't think. So I do back her to do those things. Um, and I, I think that match overall was, was good news for the sport, absolutely. Now, with all due respect, Matt, to Christine Boucher of Spain, the following I don't think is good news for the sport. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Bianca Andreescu <laughs> lost from match point up on the Kia Arena. Uh, this one really put our friendship to the test because RIP Sriantec against Andreescu <laughs> in the third round. She took us to within one point of it and then whipped it away so <laughs> cruelly. Um, look, Boucher was so good so you know i watched the the early stages of that match which were which were utterly grim it didn't it didn't get called onto court this was scheduled first up on the kia arena 
didn't get called onto court until about five o'clock. They came out onto court, they had the warm-up, and then they're having a sit-down with wrapped in about three towels each because it started drizzling just at the point that the match was due and to get going. It was it it was a vibe-free zone out there. And Andrescu had been tweeting all day about how miserable these rain <laughs> delays are and how much she wanted to be seeded because that would, you know, probably mm. meant that she was playing on a covered court and it was it was grim it i was, mean i mean we went out and it was <laughs> so cold we went out sat down wiped the drizzle off the <laughs> off the seats sat down um at this point the players are just it it, it it was midway through the first set they played a couple of games hadn't they and again it had started drizzling so they were having a little sit down to see if the rain stopped classic tennis and matt just looked at me and said dinner (laughs) so 30 seconds later we were gone um look busha really she was not good in the early stages of this match and i was thinking goodness me what a mismatch this could be over quickly it was all about andres you know how quickly can andrescu get this job done and get out of there and she just stuck with it and got better with every game of the match got she just she just didn't miss, and she was making Andrescu feel like she had to go for more and more, and that resulted in more and more errors. I don't think she has the confidence yet to play that kind of extremely high-risk tennis and and uh, and pull it off. And I went to a press conference, Bianca Andrescu, and um, she was strikingly upbeat and philosophical in press. But then told us that she'd cried for a full hour after the match. It was like she'd cool. she'd got it out of her system. She'd felt her feelings. You know, she's she's kind of a very modern person emotionally. I think mm. isn't she very in touch with her emotions? It felt like she'd felt her feelings, really sat in them, and then got to quite a philosophical place with them. But she did tell us that she went to bed last night not knowing that the schedule wasn't out yet. She went to bed extremely late. She went to bed last night not knowing what time she would play today. Her coach agreed to to stay up and wake her up in the morning if she was scheduled first on. So she got three hours sleep and a knock Gosh. on the door at 7am saying, you're playing in four hours, let's go. Gosh, I'm just I'm just digesting that. Mm. Wow. No, and obviously that would have been the same for both players. She was not using it as an excuse, but that is pretty unreal for a you know a professional athlete to to be in that situation. I think. And I know they had extraordinary. Well, they had difficult circumstances yesterday. Difficult, but I suppose not extraordinary. You know, mm. like rain happens, heat happens. We're in Melbourne. It's the most bizarre climate on the planet. I, d- I don't know. I, d- I, I, have, I have a lot of sympathy. I, I cannot imagine all the various moving parts that the schedulers are dealing with. But mm. I think athletes not, need to not be in that situation, really. Yeah, and I've always thought that the rule was that if your match gets carried over that you're second on the next day but I think that's if you've already started Mm. Um, and I suppose she was in a situation where she could have been first or second on Mm. uh, because she hadn't started and that really provided a lot of uncertainty for her and and other players as well as you said I'm sure she she was a second round match and there were a lot of First round yeah. matches still to be scheduled today. I think she, she thought the thought likelihood she was she'd later. be later in, right. in the day to prioritise the first rounds. But, but anyway, no one likes an unexpected 7am knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, and look, it was good to see her still still be positive and still say, I feel like my tennis is there. It's just making it click. I've just got to keep doing the right things and... You know, she strikes me as somebody that has had a lot of therapy and is very well adjusted. And you know, I, I think, I think she'll get there. I'm a believer. That you are. But Andrescu Svantec is not going to happen, and uh, I am going to be mourning that for the next 48 hours. Svantec is going to happen, though. Uh, she was, she was a class apart today against Camilla Osorio, who's a very talented player. 
easy on the eye, lovely to watch, didn't play badly, wasn't in the match at any stage. Yeah, I mean, Sviontek has reached that place, I think, where she can play well, you know, not not great, not peak Sviontek, and still put away a player of Osorio's quality pretty straightforwardly. And that's, you know, that's a quality that we've seen in true greats. You know, that's what they have, the ability to just separate themselves from from the rest of the field. That's what she's done. Uh, I was really impressed the way she started. Sviontek, really fast start. Her footwork was really sharp and precise. She was getting her forehand into play. Um, and she broke early in, in both sets. And she was asked after the match about that and, you know, how sort of, how much of a plan that is to start sets quickly. And she just, you know, I said about the ominous line that Medvedev gave, she gave perhaps the most ominous line imaginable, saying that she wants to win every game. And of course, you know, (laughs) sort of, of course all tennis players do. But with Fiontek, you really do feel like she really means that and thinks that she can because we've seen her win you know, so many six love sets, so many six one sets, and she never lets up. She's so like amenably ruthless, isn't she? I know. It, it, she's so nice, <laughs> <laughs> and yet will destroy you Dead if, she, if she gets the chance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think Osorio broke back when when Sviontek was was serving for the match in the second set. Had a little rally. Um, she's a nice player to watch, Osorio. Um, but, you know, Sviontek was was way too good. While that match was happening, over on the second court, Maria Sakkari was involved in an absolutely compelling tussle with somebody that you've probably never heard of. I hadn't heard of her before today. Diana Schneider, I think is the correct pronunciation. Russia player, Russian player, 18-year-old, um, scheduled to go to college this year and and play a college season, play the 2022-23 college season for North Carolina. Um, She is some player, is Diana Schneider. I was so taken with her and very taken with what Zachary had to do to to fight past her today. She had a a battle on her hands and a little bit like Koku Golf, I think the experience and the the physicality, the um, the sort of feeling of I'll just hang in there and I'll, I'll trust myself and that will all pay dividends in the end. Um, that that got her through because, you know, tennis-wise, Schneider was absolutely a match for her and more at stages today. It also, as well as brilliant tennis and great battle, had aggro mm, this match. It did. Maria Sakkari got extremely eggy. About something I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see where she was coming from, she, to be honest. She was annoyed about Diana Schneider's celebrations, her fist pumping, her exclamation. She thought it was directed towards her. Mm. She, she said to the umpire, if she screams one more time in my face, I'm going to call the referee. And the umpire sort of very gently said, I don't think it's directed at you she said I don't think it's personal and I I agree with the umpire I I don't think it was personal but it obviously felt it to Maria Zachary in the moment I think it was just as you said the moment the stress getting to her a bit although she did she was given the opportunity to sort of back away from it afterwards and she did double down she said it's not appropriate (laughs) Which... Such an such an empty threat, though, isn't it? Calling the referee because the umpires are always like, okay, then, <laughs> yeah, fine. They're, they're on my team. <laughs> like yeah. you're essentially bringing out another one of me <laughs> to to just tell you what I've already told you. <laughs> I always find it funny when they threaten to bring out the referee. But uh, yeah, Schneider was a joy. It's, it's one of the great um, Grand Slam or first week of a Slam moments. Actually, when you do discover a player you know and you think wow she can really play and she can she's a lefty uh she wears a bandana and i and i just browsed bandanas today matt (laughs) i thought that that looks like a really practical sort of Mm. hair sweat solution and i i love players 
with individuality. And, you know, mm. she will stand out. We will remember her for her and for her game. She, she's got a huge hit on the ball. I mean, as I said, lefty really strikes the forehand well in particular and rocked Zachary a lot with her power today. She also crouches extremely low, mm. sort of Kerber strong. style. So strong. So strong. For 18 years old, incredibly strong. Yeah, so really hopeful of, of seeing of seeing a lot more of her. And Zachary, she did well. She really did do well because she was, she was struggling there. And um, she got a lead in the third set. After, you know, it looked like she sort of had slightly worn Schneider down physically. And she got a lead. And we, she got a lead. And I said, oh, I'm really worried about that. Oh, now. no. What have you done, Maria? <laughs> like, don't. Th- th- this is not you. And, of course, Schneider, you know, did did get it back and um, really, I think, got to love 30 as Zachary was serving out the match and we were very, very edgy. It was that... Um, what's, think... what's the Taylor Swift line where the sort of... What is it? The skeletons in her closet were were sort of close to fucking it up for Zachary, you know, when she's, <laughs> when she's serving out the match. We're all thinking, oh, God, but you're not a closer. And... I thought she did really well to then close it because she had an opponent swinging and threatening and just generally, you know, being a bit of a nightmare down the other end. But but Zachary did do well to close it out. I I was so taken with uh, Dana Schneider. I I did a a little bit of reading and Googling. They'd mentioned in in the commentary that she was... She was scheduled to go to college, and Maria Zachary said uh, in her on-court interview, maybe she should consider not going to college. <laughs> you know, Zachary very, very taken with her play as well. And um, from the the Fox Sports Australia website, um, I found out that there's there's quite an interesting situation that that Schneider finds herself in now. She she's quoted as saying that that it was one of her, her mother's friends that that told them about North Carolina State and a, a, a potential um, opening for her there. And she committed to play the 2022-23 college season for them. Um, she said, right now the situation is really bad for me and for Russians to travel. So we made the decision that it would be the right time to come here, here being um, North Carolina. Um, but under the NCAA, the U.S. college system rules, she cannot compete in the college system while earning prize money as a professional player. And that means if she decides to go through with her college plans, and as I say, she she is committed, she would have to give up her Australian Open prize money of $158,850. Mm, which is career-changing. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Re- really interesting situation. Yeah, one to follow. You know, um, yeah. Abs- what will she decide? Oh, I, I'm all in on the career We're all of in. Diana Schneider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jessica Pagula today had her first little wobble of the tournament against um, Alexander Sasnovich. Nothing big, but it's been so plain sailing. You know, it's been sort of start start the clock when she comes out on court, how quickly can she get this done? And she looked to be cruising once again, but ended up in a second set tie break and found herself, recentered herself just in time. But I don't know. I don't know whether it means anything, but, you know, it was it was a tiny... If you're an opponent walking out against Jessica Bagula, it's that tiny little chink to give you hope, I suppose. Yeah, it sort of we raised an eyebrow a bit, didn't we, watching that. Um, she was twice up a break in the second set, gave it away both times, as you said, ended up in, in a tie break. It was just a bit flat, I thought. It was a bit of a flat performance. Um, never really felt like she was in any danger. I always thought she would win. I always thought she would win in straight sets. So, you know, certainly not any alarm bells ringing. And actually, she was pleased with how she played. You know, she she, she really thought that she played well and, and was pretty happy with her game. Um it's it's an interesting place she's in as mm. a true contender, I think, for the first time. You I, know, think I, this I know is she's the first gone time up the rankings a lot, but this is the first time... Truly been in the mix. I think, for me, absolutely. Yeah, for um, me too. It was the win over Sviantec. Changed that. You know, a big mm. win 
in that fashion, so so close to a slam, and she's one of the best players in the world anyway, it made me think, right, this is potentially her time, and conditions seem to suit her. Mm. So, And she's so self-aware, Jessica Pagula. There was that funny thing that went round on, on Twitter the other day where someone tweeted that, she was playing as though they've um as though they're going to raise the inheritance tax in the US. <laughs> I didn't see that. And uh it's funny. And she replied to it, you know, and uh, you know, she, she's self-aware and she will be I'm sure having these sorts of thoughts about mm. being a contender for the first time and what that means and will it affect her? And I don't think it is affecting her because as we said, she's won her first two matches in in straight sets. She's looking great. It's just that by the very, very high standards she set herself, that second set wasn't wasn't quite at, at the same level. Mm. And I do think she's got a slightly tricky draw now because she plays Marta Kostiuk, who does appear to be playing extremely well, mm. uh, likes it here, is a great athlete. Uh, and then after that, there's potentially Barbora Krejcikova in the fourth round. So a, a, a couple of... A couple of tricky matches ahead, potentially, for Pagula, where we'll get a real sense of, of her level, I think. Um, she's wearing um, a number three on her skirt. I, I realised today it was pointed out in tribute to um, the Buffalo Bills player, Damar Hamlin, um, that suffered cardio- cardiac arrest on the, um, on the field a couple of weeks ago, has incredibly now been discharged from hospital and is recovering well but um yeah that's a, a very nice gesture see I, I know about these things now matt mm. you do uh as you said krochikova won today mata kostyuk won today yelena ostapenko donna vekic finally <laughs> finally won <laughs> and has to come back again tomorrow for her troubles penny for pam's thoughts about coaching <laughs> Well, I think we know. Well, I thoughts. think we definitely do. Yeah, <laughs> we won't. Yeah. We won't share them. No, she's she's no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. No. But she loves it. She yeah. loves being I love, involved. Yeah, and we I love. love that. I love how much she loves it. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, Marketa von Drosheva won today and now plays on Shabur. Uh, yes, please. Madison Keys won, uh, and Elena Rabakina mm. won. Quick mention of her because she's flying under the radar by design because she's she's not being put in the spotlight at any stage. And these conditions, these balls, potentially suit her down to the ground. I think big time flat hitter. Hello, he, Elena she, Rabakina. She's Matt's dark horse, I think. I mean, I mean can a Wimbledon can, champion well, be yeah, a dark I know, horse? I know what you mean. Uh, yeah. It feels like she is, but it's so odd. I mean, she really should be talked about, I think, it, amongst the, the this, biggest contenders This is here. a real example to me, or a real highlighting of how scheduling, how much scheduling matters. Because mm. we haven't been talking about her. She's the Wimbledon champion, and... The conditions suit her. She's she's playing really well, and we haven't talked about her. And had she been on Rod Laver Arena or the second court, we would have mentioned mm. uh, she wouldn't be leading the show, but we would have talked about her. Yeah, we you're would right. have mentioned it. This it, it matters. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she was she was awesome. She beat Kaya Yuvan, who I think we both think's a you know good player. Mm. She absolutely destroyed her. Every time I was looking up at the screen, she was just in control dominating um yeah conditions suit her and i think we're gradually getting a picture of what those conditions are and what the sort of players are that that suit it and she just seems to fit fit the mold and you know she's won a grand slam title already so contender yeah, agreed, contender, and we will we will make note to talk about her as such. Um, final result, I think, to get in. Petra Kvitova lost today. Daria Kazakina lost today. She's the, the highest seed to tumble so far. Um, Cameron Norrie has won. Hooray! Hooray. And, and David is released. <laughs> David is finally released from mad genius prison. <laughs> As is Cameron Norrie. He's won. Hubert Hercatch has won. Tennis 
is finally finished for the day. Very, very quickly. Uh, what do we have to look forward to tomorrow on day four of the Australian Open? A lot of players doing double duty uh, because of because of how mad the last couple of days have been. Uh, Rod Laver is Sabalenka against Shelby Rogers, Jensen Brooksby and Casper Rude second up, and then Leila Fernandez against Caroline Garcia. Uh, women's match of the day, that for me. Djokovic first in the night session, and then Vondrosheva Jabir also a yes, please. Uh, big news on the second court is that Andy Murray against Thanasi Kokonakis is last up over there. That's very good for a, a British audience. That'll be on sort of mid to late morning, so get out of whatever meetings you're... You've got in your calendar Taylor Fritz against Alexi Popperin. Good match on the John Kane Arena. Doubles gets underway tomorrow. Rublev, Ruizavori, Shardy Evans. What else have we got? Vekic. Let's end on Vekic again. Pam Shriver, watch. Hello, Pam. <laughs> uh, Donna Vekic is against uh, Ludmilla Samsonova, the 18th seed. Good match. They are third on court three. So if you want to see Pam in her... Australian Open hat. We love it. Tune into Court 3 tomorrow. Uh, That is it, I think, for Day 3. We'll be back tomorrow with David, of course. Uh, And uh, we'll be bringing you the best of all the action. We will have Cordelia, our lovely, lovely Australian Open mascot. We will have our mascots. I've got Xenia. We got points today, Xenia. Not many of them, but it's good to be on the board. Uh, Matt's had two failures in one day <laughs> darwin yeah really bad Regrets day really bad uh, max purcell had i think seven set points to take it to a fifth didn't convert any of them lost to emil Rusevori. and then i had uh Zheng Chin wen maybe a result that we should yes we should mention right. she's um she's gone out to bernarda Perra. so Perra now plays golf not quite happening yet for Zheng Xinwen, is it? I, I, I still think it will. She's incredibly mm. young. She's incredibly talented. But just, you know, j- just a reminder if there needed to be one that just because you're sort of anointed, you know, it's not it's not simple. It's not, nothing's a given. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything wrong. It's just tennis is unbelievably hard and there are so many unbelievably good players. Um, let's give a shout out to Maisie on David's behalf, let's be magnanimous. Absolutely. Hello to Maisie. Uh, Billie Jean King is sponsored by... No, Billie Jean <laughs> is sponsored... E- easily done. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers and top folks, Drew, Hannah and Jamie. Thank you to them. I think that's it. We're going to save shout-outs when we have David here because who would want a David Law free shout-out? Absolutely nobody. So uh, we will see you tomorrow with David. Enjoy the tennis. Goodbye. Goodbye.